A re reading from 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you, not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Mesopotamia and Alkaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth for you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has been known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us, what kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son for heaven, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to Thanks God. Be to God. I'm going to turn our attention back to the reading from 1 Thessalonians. Um, it was written uh, in the year about 45 AD uh, by Paul to a beloved congregation in Thessalonica. This letter is the oldest thing in the New Testament. It's the very first letter that Paul ever wrote, and it's full of encouragement for people who are really struggling people he loves. The Thessalonians are wavering. They have no leaders with them. They are on their own flying solo. And uh, times are really hard. They are under attack. They have been under attack from the very beginning, from the first day Paul ever showed up in their city and began preaching. They are suffering criticism and the resistance they're getting from the people around them is relentless and it's intensifying. The opposition is becoming worse. They are shunned. They are exiles in their own communities. The pressure is coming not from some enemy way over there, but from their coworkers and their neighbors and their very own family members. There's this intense pressure to stop following Jesus and to go back to their old ways. They're even maybe getting threats of death and perhaps some of them have even been killed. It would be easy for this little church to lose momentum. It would be easy for them to lose faith. 
to go back to whatever it was they were doing before they started following Jesus, before they received the gospel and became disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul and his leadership team, that Silvanus, which you sometimes know as Silas and Timothy, Paul and his leadership team understand this. They're feeling it too. From the first moment they arrived in this bustling metropolis of Thessalonica and began preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, they were under attack. Paul and the leadership team are even run out of town forcefully, separated from their congregation, a traumatic event for all of them. They are, in, they are experiencing such grief. Paul says they feel orphaned. He said, we long to see your faces. We yearn to see your faces again. We've tried again and again and again to return, but we've been prevented. They too are in exile. Why the opposition, we might ask? What on earth could they have done? Well, it's, it's simply a fact that these people have become members of a new family when we become followers of the way, when we are baptized in the body of Jesus Christ, we become uh, adopted by God, our Father, and fellow siblings with Jesus, God's only begotten Son. And our orientation of life shifts towards this new family that we're a part of. And sometimes it puts us in tension with our biological families, the members who did not join. The argument in Thessalonica would have been, you know, if you want to add another God, fine. We don't have a problem with that. The Romans were very inclusive. They had temples everywhere to all sorts of gods. Uh, there was a whole pantheon of Roman gods um, and religions, and uh, none of that caused offense. In fact, they, they put up temples to every god they could think of because they wanted to make sure that they didn't hurt any god's feelings and maybe risk the wrath of one that was overlooked. But the Christ followers are different. Christ followers are called to shun all the other gods. They call them false and idols and insist on worshiping the one God of the Hebrews only. <clears throat> Which means they'll no longer go with their families and their neighbors to the other temples. They don't join in the feasts or the celebrations. They stay home. They quit their membership at all the cultic clubs that are the foundation of Roman society. No more hanging out with their business associates. They're turning down invitations to dinner parties. They're withdrawing. Paul's preaching is that Jesus is king. And that's viewed as a challenge to the reign of, of Emperor Claudius. And then Paul says that call, he calls Jesus the son of God and the prince of peace which are titles claimed by Augustus Caesar, who calls himself the son of God and who is revered and celebrated throughout the Roman Empire as the one who has brought peace, Pax Romana, to the empire and a new age. Thessalonica in particular 
revered Augustus Caesar. So most rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, but not all of them. Some of them heard the word of God preached and the word took root in their hearts. And by the power of the spirit, they became followers of the way, disciples of Jesus, members of the body of Christ. God's word gave them strength. The gospel word delivered by Paul and this leadership team have taken root. The power of the Holy Spirit working through that living word has transformed these people and is sustaining them in this time of trial. Paul says, we always give thanks to God for you. We mention you in our prayers constantly, remembering before God. That's what prayer, when we pray for other people, we are just remembering them before God. He says, we remember before God your work produced of faith, your labors prompted by love, your steadfastness of hope and endurance in Jesus Christ. Paul says to these suffering people who are feeling weak and perhaps ready to give up, he says, we know that God has chosen you. We know that God has chosen you, siblings beloved of God. Because our message came not just in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. In other words, their actions are proof. And then he says, you know our character, you know who we are, the people we prove to be for your sake. And now you are no longer imitators of us, but examples for others. They have grown in faith. They have grown in spiritual maturity. They are suffering greatly, but they have not turned back. They have stayed the course against all odds. They have become this example, this beacon of hope to believers all over Macedonia and Achaia and all the other places where their faith has become known. Paul says, people everywhere are talking about you. And they haven't heard these things from us. Your reputation of faithfulness has spread on its own. What are they saying? about these Christians in Thessalonia. How they're talking about how they have welcomed and received the word of God and the hospitality they extended to Paul and the other leaders and how they turn from idols to serve the true and living God and how they are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, God's son who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. They started out as imitators of Paul and of Jesus. Now they stand out for their holiness of life, for their endurance and steadfastness, for their joy in the Holy Spirit, for their joy. I mean, they're known for their joy in the midst of this persecution, for their laughter and warmth and hospitality and love and patience and gentleness, their joy in the face of sorrow. What sustains them is God's word. 
They never turn from God's word. They feast on God's word. They read it together. They study it together. They pray it together. And together, it gives them the ability to do works of faith and labors of love and fills them with unflagging hope. We might be wavering. I worry sometimes that we're gonna waver. Some days I feel myself wavering because you know, this is a really tough year. Not being oppressed or rejected because of our beliefs. Um, our friends and neighbors and coworkers probably aren't persecuting us and turning on us because we're members of this church, but we are suffering nonetheless. And we know the pain of separation and maybe we're getting some pressure from family or others because we're choosing to stay in our homes and turning down all invitations. Or maybe we feel the glares when we put on masks or when we don't. Maybe we long to see, I think we do all long to see one another face to face, that we yearn to be in one another's presence. And yes, we can see one another on this screen that's in front of us, but it's not the same because we are beings of light and energy and life and spirit. And that energy and pulse does not come through on a computer screen. And we know it. We long and return to worship the way it used to be, to raise the roof with the sound of our singing, to shake hands and hug one another, to gather and laugh out loud with abandon without a care in the world. Dear siblings in Christ have died while we have been under this separation. We have tried again and again to find our way back and have been prevented and probably for our own good, but it hurts. The forces of this world, whether governments or viruses or economies have impacted our lives in countless ways. We're feeling tired, maybe we're feeling weakened in our resolve, maybe we're taking more risks because we're weary of it all. We have been waiting a long time like the church in Thessalonica, maybe we are in danger of wavering in our faith. Maybe it feels like we're going backwards instead of moving forward. I worry about the other half of the congregation that isn't on Zoom and doesn't come on Wednesdays. I see the same faces all the time and I worry and about all those many faces I haven't seen since March. I worry about whether they're drifting away from us. It's so easy to skip worship, especially if Zoom isn't your thing. It's tempting to fill our lives with other things, with all the stuff maybe that we used to do before we joined this body of Christ to forget about doing the work to which we have been called by God. It's easy to focus on what we cannot do and used to do and just sit here in limbo instead of looking for things we could do and maybe had never thought of. The Thessalonians found their strength in one another 
and in the power of God's word and in the spirit of God, which lived in their hearts, dwelled within them, enlivened them, and filled them with faith, transformed and sustained them through dark days. God will deliver us from death. We know that. The even better news is that God is here and gives us meaning and strength and healing in the present moment. Paul writes, we give thanks to God for all of you. We mention you in our prayers constantly, remembering before God, your works produced of faith, your labors prompted by love and the steadfastness and endurance of your hope. Because the message came not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And the things you do and the way you live is the proof. They would remind us to be joyful always, to pray constantly, to give thanks in all circumstances, to hold on to everything good and resist everything that is evil, to help the poor, to care for one another, to work, to be employed, to be members of the community around us, and not to cut ourselves off from the world. Christians, I have been reminded, are at work in all of life, not just in the church, not just at the building. I've been looking around my neighborhood, and I've noticed some things of neighbors are doing, ones that I know happen to be followers of Jesus Christ. One set up food collection in their front yard and have been collecting food for, for area pantries every week since April or May. Others set out a collection for coats for children and delivered them to an area school. Just this week, some others brought our block together and invited everybody on the street to come for chili supper in the driveway with social distancing and a bonfire and gave us a chance to meet people we hadn't met. Dee Griffith told me she volunteers every week at the Metro Lutheran Ministry Pantry up in the city and I had no idea she did that. Others are making quilts or crocheting Afghans. Ralph, Latshaw showed up in the sanctuary and installed some new lights. Sally sending out Sunday school materials over the web. Some of you stop and pause for morning prayers, whether it's with me or with somebody else or on your own. We're continuing to care for creation. We're looking for what we can do. We're gonna send out Advent packages to all of you. Ron Barnes showed up and without charge trimmed trees all over the church property, lots of trees, and shaped up that huge oak so we can see the stained glass windows again. Pamela comes in week after week and sets the altar for Wednesday communion. Rita and, Gorda, Rita and Gordon showed up to usher for Jack's funeral. We get together in Bible study and in worship some of you are lectors and assisting ministers. 
You're keeping the records of our offerings and making the deposits and writing the checks. And others of you are going to work and earning a living and witnessing by your joy to the risen Christ. You're raising children. You're caring for neighbors and loved ones. Linda and Mark Schrader showed up to cheer Dee Griffith on when she jumped out of a plane last Sunday. We're focusing on the positive in life. You're feeling joy, avoiding negativity and anger, encouraging one another, especially when we see others struggle. So I give thanks to God for all of you because somehow we're gonna put up the Christmas tree and hang the garland this year. We are unflagging in hope. We'll send out greeting calls, cards and make calls, deliver poinsettias to those who haven't been out of their homes. Maybe some of us will bake some cookies and drop them off on a front porch. This is how we wait for the coming of the Lord. Amen.